What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Before we start, I'd just like to once again thank everybody who took time to subscribe to our iTunes show, Canine Paradigm, obviously. Uh, we've had a great success during the week, which is more abundant than what I thought it was going to be. What do you reckon, Pat? Yeah, you sent me that screenshot that we were number five in education. Oh, and I, I absolutely could not believe that. I actually went and checked it because I thought maybe you'd Photoshop that <laughs> yeah, and, well, and we're just taking the piss. No. So, yeah, it's great. Thank you very much for everyone for listening and for sharing it around and um, all the positive and constructive feedback that we've had. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. So, um, again, this is uh, your show, something that we want to put together for people who listen to the show. Had some great responses so far. Even my staff have come up to me at work and said that they, they're listening to it, which was shocking shocking and awesome at the same time. Shocking and awesome. Shock and awe. So, uh, loved it. All right. Thank you. Uh, cue the music. And we're live. Welcome back to episode three of the Canine Paradigm. I'm one of your hosts, Pat Stewart, here with Glenn Cook. And today we're joined by our first ever guest on the Canine Paradigm, Bertie O'Sheedy. Welcome, Bertie. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming in. That's going to be great. I think um, having a, a, an actual person in the studio with us is going to excite people and they're going to really enjoy the show. So, Bertie, why don't you lead by telling us a little bit about your bravery workshop? Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about my bravery workshop because it's, you know, it's really amazing to be here and talk with true dog nerds like yourself. You know, you've been in the dog industry for so long, so it's really amazing to be here and share this knowledge. And um, the bravery workshop is basically there to help people get an understanding of how they can help the human at the end of the leash. You know, like I realized when I had my dog Luna who had a lot of problems and had a lot of difficulties in her journey with me, how she needed a lot more guidance from me. And I was really blessed that I had really awesome trainers in my life. You know, they were really helpful. And we both looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, I'm holding, I'm the human, I'm holding my dog back. You know, my dog's progressing really well in everything but i'm not and that's when the bravery workshop was basically born mm -hmm. cool so just explain to our listeners what you before you had anything to do with dogs what do you do for a job so i'm a clinical psychologist um it might be interesting to hear a little bit about my backstory yeah that's love to. yeah go ahead okay cool that's what i'm probing for i'm probing mm -hmm. ah nice um, oh, oh god okay keep going <laughs> <laughs> so um um, I was born in Austria in a really small village, you know. Um, there were more cows than people, essentially, and I was a free-range kid. I could do whatever I want. I had my first motorbike when I was eight years old, and I loved animals. Like, I always had animals in my neighborhood, and I really fell in love with dogs. Like, I left every day 40 minutes earlier 
then I had to do go to school just so I could see all the dogs in the neighborhood and all the horses in the neighborhood. I drove everyone mad. And my mom wasn't keen on me having a dog because she could see, oh, my God, that will be a handful. So she allowed me to have a rabbit, essentially. So I trained my rabbit recall and leash pressure. So I walked my rabbit, essentially, everywhere in the village. <laughs> and, and I had um, my neighbor's dog. He was a German Shepherd called Terry, and he picked me up from school all the time. And so I was always surrounded by animals, and I loved it. And it really showed me you know, how amazing it is to engage with another being. And even if you can't use your language or your own cognition, like it was just really amazing. And there's this funny incident that my family sometimes still brings up is that um, our village was really religious, very Catholic in Austria. And there was this one Thanksgiving mass in church where everyone could bring something that they wanted to have blessed because they were grateful for. I rocked up with my rabbit. <laughs> I was sitting in my with my big black rabbit called Schlappy. And um Schlappy. Yeah, I don't want to say what it's in English though. It's not it's not really the English translation I looked it up this morning is horrible. Well, you're gonna have no, to tell yeah, because <laughs> otherwise now people are gonna be trying to Google that while they're driving. Okay, so it's in the, the German name was Schlappy because it had drop droopy ears, but in English it's called Limpy. <laughs> so anyway. But he was an amazing rabbit and he taught me a lot about animal behavior. And so I, I got my first dopamine hit in kind of like, you know, working and teaching with animals. And then when I was 17, I um, had an opportunity to work in an old people's home. And I realized, ooh, that's behavior. So I applied for it. Um, first, I got rejected because they're like, I'm too young. I don't understand anything about people with dementia, essentially, because they had a new project there with people with dementia. Um were essentially living in a shared unit instead of being institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And I finally got the job. And what the amazing thing there was is that I had an amazing team leader. His name was Stefan. And what Stefan did is he taught us a lot about valuing other people, even if their cognition is totally distorted, even if their behavior makes no sense. So essentially there were 12 women living in this unit and they had very, very severe dementia like extremely severe. They couldn't speak, some of them. They couldn't eat anymore. They were having no orientation. And he introduced me to this model of personalizing your approach and always staying curious. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great opportunity because you really ha had to think outside the box and you always had to be curious about every single interaction. And he always said, never be judgmental, always stay curious no matter what. And there was this incident um, but there was one lady and I knew she didn't like me from the get-go. Like she saw me and she really did not like me. And when people have severe dementia, they sometimes mistake you for a person from their past. Mm -hmm. And she really, she like she couldn't speak, but she poked her tongue out of me or she made scary faces at me. I'm like, oh, God, you really don't like me. And one day I was assigned to be her carer. And she had to have a bath. And my colleague hosted her up out of the bed onto the hoist to have a bath. And I was there. And in that moment, she dropped something. And I picked it up. And it fell below her, underneath her. In that moment, she peed on my head. <laughs> she lost she lost control of her, of her bladder function. She peed on my head. And I looked at her. And I'm like, oh, my God, nothing prepared me for this situation. How do you react when a human pees on your head, literally? And you're covered in pee. And we looked at each other. And I just... I just had this word in my head, stay curious, stay curious. And I'm like, just smiled and just giggled. And she did too. And in that moment, we had a real change in her treatment. Right. Because 
although her cognition didn't work anymore, her behavior changed. Mm -hmm. And after that, you know, she started talking a little bit. She could eat again and she let me be her carer. So it was the first real reinforcement to me that no matter what, there's always a opportunity to stay curious and you will always win when you stay curious. How old were you when you were working in that? 17. Wow. I was 17. That's a lot. That's a huge responsibility for a 17-year-old. It was. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit of an odd egg. Like, I'm definitely not your average person. I'm obsessed with behavior modification, learning about behavior and mindset since I'm a young child. And because I had such a great experience in the old people's home, I then started, that was in Switzerland, and I moved then to Vienna in Austria, and I enrolled in psychology. And right from the get-go, I knew I'm not a great student. I'm getting really bored. And a psychology degree is essentially science and statistics. Mm. I had to have a math tutor since I'm 14 because I'm so crap at math. So I'm like, that's going to be a hard six years, man. I don't know how I'm going to survive that. So I knew I had to do something practical. So right from the beginning, I applied for a, um, a volunteer role in the acute psychiatry. And I had to be so relentless in applying and applying because they're like, you're really young, you know, maybe you shouldn't be here. But I got in because I'm quite stubborn. If I want something, I go for it. So I was in the acute psychiatry ward um, for maybe a bit over a year. And I learned like, you know, People in food, how people are in full-blown schizophrenia or, or how people really react when they're really drunk or all the really extreme behaviors. And I was, I loved it. Mm. Like, I really learned that, oh, my God, you know, quality of life and making meaning in someone's life is really important and how to find logic when your cognition is gone, essentially. And that basically set me on a path of becoming really interested in neuro, um, neuroscience and neurocognition, and I became a clinical psychologist. I then went on to palliative care. I worked a long few years in palliative care in dementia homes. I did my thesis about dementia. And essentially it taught me how to stay curious and how to be non-judgmental, which basically the reason why I go on about this is what led me to my dog, Luna, mm -hmm. because when I finally was in a position in my life when I moved to Australia to have a dog. So Sorry, sorry to interrupt when did you move to Australia? I moved, sorry, there's a long gap there. Um, I moved to Australia in 2011. I finished my degree, my studies in 2009, and I moved to Australia in 2011. I worked for the MS Society for Multiple Sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And then I finally was in a position to go, like, I'm settled enough to have my own dog. And the odd egg that I am didn't want to have an average dog. Big mistake, big mistake. So I started volunteering for a dog rescue and then I basically found my dog. Her name's Luna. And I'm like, oh, I like you. But I knew she had sass. And I knew that she was really difficult. And they told me she was difficult And I'm like, because she was has been with um, her third home. Two homes had given up on her. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm not intimidated. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> um, I can make this work. And I was a bit, well, quite too cocky really because I'm like, I understand behavior. I understand how you change behavior. Yeah, I know I didn't. I had no idea. Like, I got the serving of my life, like the biggest humble pie piece of my life I had to eat when I got my dog because I loved her dearly and we had a great connection, but within a couple of weeks our relationship deteriorated. She destroyed my home. She had severe separation anxiety. So, so you'd never lived with a dog before nope. her? No. Right. And I never had – I only had – experiences with dogs that were really 
like, you know, they had a great home. They didn't have any issues. Sure. They, they were like ex-military dogs or like. Other people's easy dogs. Yes, but not my dog. So were you living alone at this point or were you sharing? No, I was with my family. So I'm married and I have two gorgeous kids. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and, you know, they, they had to, they were, um, my family is amazing because having a difficult dog in your life really changes everything. Like I had this, you know, I had this glorified Facebook, Instagram version of, hey, you have that dog and then we go on Sunday walks on the beach and where we live in Manly, you know, on the beach where a thousand people and 200 dogs. So I will recall my dogs from every scenario. And I'm a psychologist. I love people. Obviously, I wanted my dog to be a people's person. No, my dog does not like people. So... What happened on top of that was um, we had two unlead attacks while walking and I didn't know how to handle them. People yeah. or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> was your intent – I think you told me one time your intent was sort of to have her as a therapy dog. Yes, that's how delusional I was. That was the closest <laughs> to delusion I got in my life. Like, I picked so the wrong dog for that role. Like I want to smack myself and I'm just like – what are you thinking? But, but you know, it's the dog trainer's fairy story, fairy tale. Like it's mm. the the dog. I know. I listened to your story, and I'm like, yeah, you and Ryder, yeah, me and, and Luna. <laughs> it's ninety percent of people and dogs, and you don't get. I I, I didn't make this up, but I, I pass it on. You, I don't think you get the dog you want. You usually get the dog you need. I think dogs usually um, come into your life to give you a, a a point that you you need. And certainly for me, it was, and it sounds like certainly for you, she fulfilled that purpose. She is what I needed at that time. I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. But I am um, no like if you would say to me what's a pivotal moment in your life, I would say getting married and getting my dog. Yeah, it's yeah, a right. it's a career launcher yeah, it's, sometimes it's, for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Mm. Like she was, she was like my husband says to this to this day, he's like, I didn't have such an impact on your life like your dog did. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So you you've got this dog. She's a nightmare. She's a headache. Yeah, you're not enjoying her a lot. No, and we have you can see um on my photos in my private photos, how we went from happy to really not liking each other. Right. And there were moments where I nearly gave up on her. Mm-hmm. You know, there were really moments I couldn't sleep because I'm like, I don't know how to make this work. So in that, did, did, did it ever cross your mind two people already have given up on this dog, it's okay to do it? Or did you think two people already have, I'm not going to be the third? I'm a, a hate. Yeah. I hate giving up. Like you set me a goal and a task and I go for it. Right. Like um, my mom, but God bless her soul, she always said, you're not the brightest, but you work really hard. You have really good work ethic. If you want something, we call it bum muscle, you sit down and you work it out. <laughs> bum muscle. <laughs> She's like, you got the bum muscles to sit down and just make it work. And I'm like. I'm still laughing. <laughs> um, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that and give no explanation of the context. <laughs> Yeah, cool. You own that one. <laughs> but it's true. Like I, I can be – I have good at work ethic, mm-hmm. you know. So this is a time when your stubbornness was a virtue, yes, right? Yes, but also I know how to reach out and get help. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew that I needed help. And that's when I was finding amazing people in my life. Like I met Lauren Hoyle and, you know, she had a similar story with her dog at that time. And it was all of a sudden we had to go on this journey of we both have – challenging dogs you know and I was a I was at that time also in a difficult path in my private life I did not enjoy my work I was um quite in a dark headspace at that time like I wasn't really great my confidence was really low 
I did, although I was working in my dream job as a clinical psychologist, environment, how it was facilitated, didn't agree with me at all. Mm-hmm. So you're working for someone else at this time, right? And it, and it just, my values with their values did not match how, mm-hmm. how I, why I do psychology. And so I met those amazing people in Lauren Hall and she, she started training with me and I fucked it up all the time, like one fuck up after the other, you know. And on top of that, so my dog was by then, um, at the beginning, dog reactive after two lead-on attacks. But then what happened was my neighbor's house burnt down. So my husband was in an America on a business trip. I was alone at my, in my house in my bed reading, and then it was close to midnight, and all of a sudden I heard this massive noise. And I looked outside, and I was surrounded by fire, and I realized my neighbor's house caught on fire. And my dog and I were just sitting there, and I'm like, fuck, I need to get out of my house. Like it got really hot in my room. So we're crawling through the um, on the floor through the door and I'm crawling downstairs and I live on top of a cliff, like it's quite high and mm-hmm. I couldn't see much. Oh, this is the this, house you're at yeah, now. Yeah, This story just gets better and better. Like oh. you're having a fire <laughs> next door, you live next to a cliff. Like I'm, I'm just waiting to hear what happens now. <laughs> no, well, I've been to your house. It's not, a, it's not an easy in and out, no, right? No, it's like, not. It's not, especially not if any of your PJs at midnight. Yeah, yeah. And so, let, Sorry, let me explain yeah. that. So to give some context, you live up a cliff. I'm a pretty fit, reasonably fit guy. I was exhausted by the time I got up there. I think you told me it took... Months before you could get anyone to install your fridge? Yeah, we had to have three attempts of removal list to get the couch out. Yeah. <laughs> like it's every time you eat something in my house, it's hard earned. You're allowed to have chocolate or whatever <laughs> you have, you earned it. So it's not like for people listening, it's not like I oh, open the door and run out the door. No. This is like op- it's it's an effort it's to a, get out of that Yeah, house. It's, it's like literally. Beautiful place, by the way. You live in a bird's nest. I do but- live in a bird. Yeah, birdie lives in a bird's nest, literally. Yeah. But it's like <laughs> 60 steps really tightly wound Beside a rock cliff. Well, you, you know we're going to have to get photos for our Facebook page now, don't you? Yeah, if, like, it's, for, it will happen. That's no problem. Well, we, well on we, that, we to, to interject, we're, we should have explained. So we're going to do an album per episode and we'll have relevant photos. So you'll provide us some photos before oh, we come yeah. out. And you'll, when you have some time, you can go and check out the context of it. Because I think to really understand this story, you need to have seen it. I mean, some of the steps are like cut into the rock, right, to get up to your place. Yeah, and it's, some of them are dodgy as well. Yeah. You don't tell that people. Do, do you have a driveway or do you just park at the bottom of the street? Or No, we have a driveway and that's why I had to get a four-wheel drive to get into my driveway, <laughs> into my garage. I, I, I knew this story was getting better. I'm just waiting. Like, I, I thought maybe you have like a, a hoist or something like that. No, you? because we're renting. We're renting and that was the only house available in my suburb that allowed a big dog, so. Um, that's how dedicated I, I wanted to have a dog so badly that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you, you can you can have the dog as long as you live on the house on the cliff next door to the burning building. Yes. Okay. And, and and the difficult thing was that, um, you know, I was tired. Like it, close to midnight, it's not a great yeah. headspace. So, I was in so we're pieces. laughing, but this isn't a funny no, story. No, I was, right? I was really serious. scared. And also I knew that I had to get my paperwork before leaving the house because mm. if I don't have my paperwork, I'm screwed. Literally, because I'm I'm a permanent resident, but I'm not Australian. So I I'm having my dog. I was lucky; I had the leash on her, and I had my bag, and I was crawling on the floor out to my house. And by then, the fire brigade and everyone had come, and I was really scared. Like I was properly scared because we had a, we have a lot of class, and I was really worried that it's exploding because it it looked like a gas problem in the other house. And so we got to the bottom of my driveway and I was just sitting there and I'm like, no one's here. My parents are overseas in Austria. My husband's in America, all different time zones. My closest friend just went on a retreat and wasn't there. So I'm like, 
if I lose everything tonight, I literally can only sleep in my car. But I'm just in my head, I'm like, ooh, bit tough night tonight. We'll be fine, but we'll be tough. And by the time we got to the bottom of the stairs, um, the police arrived and the fire brigade arrived. And Luna was sitting beside me and she, the, the police officer was dressed in dark clothes and Luna wasn't socialized as a puppy. She, she hasn't met many men in her life as a puppy, so she was always having a bias towards men. And the policeman came really rushing towards me and I was in my head like I didn't see it coming and I had quite a, an anxious reaction to him and she launched at him. Like she, she, she's like, you know, mommy's not well. So she started launching at him and she's like, get your dog under control, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And, and she, you know, I could put her in a seat and he's like, just to let you know, prepare yourself. Your house probably will explode the next 30 minutes. Just physically, mentally prepare yourself. It will explode. I have a gas issue, so get ready. And I'm like, can I get my car? It's it's closer to the house. And he's like, no, you just have to come down with you with me here right now and just watch it. So there's that car option. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm screwed, right? But then the amazing thing is it didn't explode. The house didn't explode. They could get the house under control because what they had, they had a massive pool beside, between their house and my house, and the pool saved us. Wow. And I – essentially could even that night go back into my house, you know, but my dog by then was highly stressed. I was highly stressed. Mm -hmm. We could, our house was filled with smoke and chemicals and I'm just leaving messages on my parents and my husband's phone, Austria and America. And my husband's like, Oh my God, this is horrible. I'm like, um, he, by the way, he had a massive exam the next day that he studied for a whole year. So I knew if I stress him out, his whole trip to the USA, USA probably jeopardizes his exam. Mm. So I tried to play it down a bit. And in the end, he, he's like, are you okay? I'm like, sure, I'm fine. I deal with it, you know. Everything's and totally fine. It's fine. It's okay. I'm like, I am stressed, but don't worry. It's all good. And that's how my dog in the, in the end, how he contributed to her being human reactive because I was really scared and she, the officer did back off and she got reinforced. Mm. Were your neighbors at home at the time when all this was taking place? Um, yes, it was. Um, my neighbor had apparently some cognitive dif- dysfunction and forgot her frying pan oil on the gas stove and it just took off. But they were okay? Just, yeah, they were all okay. Um, they, they, no, no one, no one got hurt, thankfully. Right. It, was, okay. it was a great outcome. Um, but what happened, and Luna was really difficult after that. Right. You know, like, so extreme circumstance. Yes. She's confronted with uh, an owner that is not in a great headspace. She herself is probably panicking. Both of you panicking. Yeah. She reacts to the policeman confronting the, yep. the two of you. He backs off. Huge reinforcement. Yes. Now I know how to take myself out of any um, uncomfortable situation I find yes. myself in. Yes. And that meant from after that day, no man could approach us from 40 meters. Right. That's when she would start being reactive. Wow. And so – the good thing, though, was that it basically opened up an amazing opportunity for me to other people because I had all of a sudden, you know, Lauren Hoyle said, oh, my God, you know, we really need to work with you now because you it's really difficult. And I really lost my confidence at that point. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for psychologists to tell a person, don't you dare to come close to me. Do you not touch my dog? Yeah. I had the vision of everyone touch my dog. And now I'm going like, no, you're not allowed to touch it. So... Lauren was amazing and she opened a lot of doors for me. I met Andrew Clark. I was allowed to – she put a case forward that I was attending Josh Moran's workshop and mm-hmm. Melanie Sweeney, thank you so much, allowed me to come as long as I would read the NDTF, the student course material, and I did twice. 
and I loved it. Like I loved to work. And that's how I met you guys. Mm. Oh yeah, that is yeah. Yes. Sitting down in the corner of the shed yes, down there. Yes, that's how I met you, and that's when all of a sudden these doors opened, and I had a lot of people in my life that were extremely supportive, you know. And so we went on this journey of of helping Luna out and helping me out. But there was this point where Luna was ready to let go of the past, and I wasn't. And what happened was that I looked at my dog, and I'm like, "You're okay, and I'm not." We're doing exposure, we're doing desensitization, we're doing all those things, and you are always ready and I set you up to fail. Yeah, right. And what happened was that I had people in my life, they they cared for me, and they're like, Bertie, why do you keep fucking up your dog? <laughs> From a really genuine place. Mm. And I'm like, I can't express to you why. And I noticed that everyone picked up it was me, but no one had the language or a model in place. And then... As a clinical psychologist, we have to go regularly to senior practitioners like psychologists to talk about either clients or ourselves. And thank God for Rob Brockman, who had a really open mind. I brought my dog to to my supervision, where we discussed difficult cases, and I felt said, hey, I'm really stuck. And then the penny dropped. I'm like, I had a trauma experience. So I had to learn how to overcome. I had to learn to manage my own psychological problems. And then life was easy. As soon as I realized I had to apply my clinical psychology framework, I sailed through the program. And it was interesting because we had a group by then with difficult dogs and I all of a sudden excelled. Yeah, right. I was at the bottom and then all of a sudden I excelled because I'm like, I know what to do now. I realized the problem. I could formulate it. Mm -hmm. In psychology, when we have a problem, we have to apply a structure to it, a framework to it, and then we formulate the problem and have certain interventions. And people started noticing, hey, this, you're doing something that no one does. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, it's really hard to explain. And I came then up with it's called the BRAVE formula. And that's essentially a, a really brief explanation of what you have to do to be okay when you're going through a rehabilitation program. And I only thought that my friends would like it. You know, I only thought, oh, this is like a Garrett thing. You know, we have a beer or two and then we talk about it and that's all it. And then all of a sudden the interest sparked from other people and from other people. And I'm like, ooh, is this getting to a point now where I have to sit down and and do a bit more proper stuff? You know, like you can't just – when you have a friend, you can wing it a little bit, right? But when other people have interest, you go like, well, you better do something proper. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the dog industry had a really myopic bias in their approach. They formulate everything like when a dog goes into – um, well, I call it treatment, but the behavior modification program. Treatment's a good word. Tri- it, thank you. Um, people are called dog trainers, right? They focus on the dog, but technically they're relationship counselors. And I'm like, if you're a relationship counselor because it's between you and the dog, you're having the bias, this, this massive myopic bias where you're only looking at what the dog does wrong. Mm. And people have a lot of knowledge now, a lot of access to information how to help the dog. You know, the internet's an amazing thing. But there is no no framework, no words, no structure, no intervention plan, no, for, no formulation, no model in place for the human. Dog trainers know it is the human, but they struggle to what you do with it. And then I played for a couple of months around it. Oh, well, how do I make a framework? Because I couldn't find one. I couldn't find a framework for the human in the dog industry. And I, I knew that... Um, one of the training approaches I've been trained in is called acceptance and commitment therapy. It's super practical 
And it's really versatile for other areas, not just psychology. They use it in personal training, dietary recommendations, like all sorts of things. And they have amazing outcomes. Like they're really evidence-based. And uh, most of the time, the golden standard of treatment these days. So, so say that again so people can Google that, acceptance. And commitment therapy. I can put a link up. Like, cool. That would be great. No problem. Um, and I, re- I started playing with it and then um, came up with the PACT model. And basically the PACT model is a shorter form of acceptance and commitment therapy. That was um, Acceptance and commitment therapy is basically quite a wide approach for mental health issues, but we don't need everything in dog training, so I made it more applicable to the dog industry. Mm-hmm. And that's when it was born. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to host a mini workshop for my friends in Sydney, you know, like nothing big. I'm like, yeah, four people rock up, sweet. Yeah, no, it took off. I've had in four months 70 people attending. That's wow. fantastic. Yeah. I think that at the original time you hosted it, um, Pat said to me, you know, look, um, Bertie's got this um, bravery workshop going. I'm thinking about going. And um, at the time I wanted to support it too, but I think I was over in the States at the time that you were doing it. And, yeah, we were um, both busy. We yeah, go. there was something on and, and um, both of us have, you know, uh, anything interesting or fascinating like that, we both love supporting local talent. Um, you know, I often talk about it and Pat talks about it and uh, quite a few other people talk about it on the Balance Symposium where we talk about, you know, if somebody has got some uh, genuine knowledge that we can add to our repertoire of what we're trying to do, we should actually support what they're doing, not only because it's interesting but because they're people that we believe in as well. But um, unfortunately, yeah, we couldn't attend, but the feedback we were getting was really good. You Unbelievable, know? actually. Yeah, people were coming back and saying, you know, um, if you missed it, if she's doing it again, you should actually try and go to it because it's, it's fascinating stuff. I was so lucky. I can't tell you how lucky I was because the people there were amazing, you know. I had really knowledgeable people from the dog industry attending and they were so kind to me because – we very often see in people um, what's called the scout mindset or the soldier mindset. Either you defend what you believe in and, you you know, it's based on tribalism and defensiveness or you're scouting out what you can do. You know, you're curious. You get meaningfulness out of being curious and non-judgmental. And I had the golden group. Like I couldn't have had a better group because I was so nervous. And the week before the workshop, I got really crook. Like I was nearly cancelling the workshop. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I got into my workshop and I knew I had errors on my slides. I knew I couldn't, I'm Austrian, I have grammar mistakes and I couldn't pass it on to someone. So I was doing the workshop and I'm like, oh, Bertie, what a fool you are. You're challenging the dog industry or giving them another option and you're not perfect. And I had to overcome this fear and be brave enough in myself of go like, well, if your belly flops, who gives a fuck? Like, <laughs> like, Best a, attitude like, ever. Like, I, you have to be, to get glory, you need to have guts. But do you know what I say? I, 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 a lot of times when I'm talking to the NDTF students about that fact, um, about the pursuit of perfection, I think it drives people insane. It does. It, there's, to me, I, I don't think that is a, is a practical outcome for anybody. I try and encourage people to be excellent rather than perfect because I think perfection is... Uh, I mean, I was even reading something about uh, the Japanese culture and and early on they were really enthusiastic about pursuing per- perfection in everything. You know, they were looking for the perfect flower, the perfect background, the perfect um, martial arts, the perfect culture. Um, but they were finding that it was depressing a lot of the, the people in, in their um, – 
in the culture of the Japanese people. So they changed it to the pursuit of excellence. And I think Germans did the same thing as well. I make a living out of helping people not to be perfect, mm. you know. Like I should, I should take my own advice. And I tried to. Well, like, I live I with was, a perfectionist. Yes. So. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> no, my husband lives with a perfectionist too. Not in housework, though. I have it in other areas. I'm selective in that regard. But I couldn't have had, had better people. And you know what the most amazing thing was? They gave me good feedback. Like they sat down and from a really kind place sat me down and they helped me tweak things. Perfect. So yeah. the first workshop and the workshop that I've just held have not much in common anymore. Mm. Like I, I opened the workshop saying, I need to make a pact with you guys. You know, it's not just a pact be- between you and your dog. Because the pact stands for, you know, you have a commitment. I need to make a pact with you guys that this will grow. This is just an, a, a trial, essentially, and it will always grow, you know. And originally the workshop was called the Bravery Workshop because it just came from a brave model formula just to help clients. But now it's heaps more. Like now it's about how do you formulate you as a dog trainer yourself? How do you help a sports club? How do you help people who are in IPO? How do you help people who work with PTSD soldiers or ex-army, you know, like it's, it's trying to be, it's growing so much that I need to learn to sleep less or just be more fit because the model, because it's based on clinical psychology and evidence has a lot of depth to it. Like you can really use it in different areas. And what happens right now is I'm just, I'm like a sponge. I'm soaking up feedback. I'm listening to industry leaders and what they need and try to learn, well, that works and that doesn't work. Mm, perfect you know i think there's a lot of strength in that it's something i harp on about a lot um in that good constructive feedback is seldom easy to receive um but you gotta get it right when someone gives you hard news or bad news is so important to take on because it's easy just to go fuck you and and not take it in and not improve it's especially important from your colleagues and and friends because effectively what they're telling you is if you improve on this it, it will be more in demand. People will come to you and say, I actually really like what you're doing. If only you could change these couple of little things. And even when um, we started this off, um, you know, people have rang both Pat and I individually and collectively we've sat down and talked about where people have come up to us and said, hey, guys, it's really good. Just if you could just change a few little things um, and don't be worried about some of these other things. And, you know, we've talked during the week and thought exactly and this is exactly what you're talking about now, and I love it. I think it's it's essential in any type of relationship, business, personal, whatever. I think it's fantastic. I tell a story, Sarah. We'll get back. I tell the story about one day um, Sam was teaching me a particular technique in the suit, right? And I wasn't getting it. In fact, I nearly broke his dog's neck kicking her, trying to call her onto a leg, um, and just misread it altogether. And he could see I was pretty much a breaking point. And in classic Sam fashion, is like abusing me for kicking his dog in the neck. And he could see his dog was about, me being his dog was about to break. And he said, listen, do you want to be best mates and go inside and have a beer? Because we can do that. Or you can just fucking catch the dog correctly and learn how to be a good dog trainer. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. Right? Like, but that's what I needed to hear at the time. Like, it's like, just this is the hard feedback you're getting. You're doing this terribly. You just nearly broke this dog's neck trying to catch it on the leg. Fix it. This is how. Now get on with it. No, like, oh, don't worry, mate. Like. No. But, but I'm ready for to receive information yes. like that, right? And I think that's what a lot of people were worried about. Like when people meet me, they're like, oh, you're really sweet and bubbly. Yeah, don't be mistaken. Like I do have a backbone. Like I, I can be kind but very authentic, you know. Perfect. It's, it's that art of packaging truth 
And when when you would look at the PACT model in detail, the, the PACT stands for certain attributes, and I can put it up later on. But basically it means when the dog, the human and the dog in their relationship fail for various reasons, they have those four key components where they're falling short. Either it is because the dog owner is not in the present moment, like they're so occupied in their head or so critical to themselves or you know, they're really struggling to pay attention or that's the P, that's present moment, or A for acceptance. They really struggle to accept the dog they have in front of them. Like I took me a long time to accept my dog doesn't like people. She likes some people but not a lot of people, you know, and their emotions with it. So what do you do with it? And what you just mentioned as well is that you have to choose your values. You wanted to become a good dog trainer. So in that moment, you had the value of, yeah, I can overcome this obstacle because I have something, a target, right? So when um, when the dog-human couple are not knowing what their values are, when the, the human does not know why they got a dog or who they want to be, they're lost. They don't know. Like you have to really know why you got a dog. Otherwise, you're training as soon as it becomes difficult, you're backing down. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and, and I think that's, that's what is a challenge for a lot of people that they need to find meaning in a relationship with their dog and not what people tell them, but they have to find a meaning, you know. Mm. And that's what we see a lot in people when they have a difficult dog. But isn't that interesting, should. Bertie, because that's a lot about um, psychology as well, is eventually you have to come to the conclusion. I mean, you're sitting in a room talking to somebody. They're not, they're not um, sitting there with some sonic ray getting into your head. They're... T- they're bringing you to a point where you have to come to a conclusion. You know, they're making, well, they're not making you, but they're helping you to force things to open up, doors to open up, and um, times in your life where you're struggling with things, where you've, you've put blockades in place and, and prevented yourself from looking into those areas. And they take you to a point of consideration to say, I think it's time we open that door now and have a look what's behind there. You know, I see this. I, look, I had depression once before. Um, so did I. Yeah, and I, I think to be a, a, a broken person, um, you can't understand mental health properly until you're a broken person. So you can talk about it um, and you can summarise about it, but, you know, like it's when somebody tells you I've had some sort of mental illness like depression or something, now you, you, you go, oh, okay, if you haven't had it, you just don't understand it. You sympathise with people and you feel empathy for them, but you don't understand it. When you do have it um, or having it or going through it or still have it, it's it's very different from the description what people actually give you. So I, I um, fortunately for me, I got through it. I was lucky. I was one of those lucky people who I didn't have a, um, a re-emergence of it. Um, but I know a lot of people in this industry and even friends and colleagues who are still going through it and they're struggling day to day. And the severity of it, I for me, I call it quicksand. Some days you're in up to your ankles, some days you're in up to your chin, you know, and just that bit of struggle can swallow you up. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, this is, um, I just read a study this week by um, Elisa Payne and she focused on the um, attachment and the bonding that a dog offers when people have mental health struggles. And dogs outrank humans in that moment, you know. Mm. And it's so important also when um, part of the reason why the PACT model was formulated is also to help dog trainers have less frustration in their life. Mm. You know, they very often cop things. They very often notice that they're in, in, in kind of like um, in a fight nearly, in a tension space with their per- person they're working with. And it 
it burns them out, you know, at the workshop. I have all the time people coming up and like, I'm being discouraged becoming a dog trainer because the people side of it is too hard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm so sad. It shouldn't be that way, you know. And, and then now they telling me how they do those things that they learn, the techniques that they learn, just to become more aware. Because if you teach them to be a relationship counselor, you teach them self-care, you teach them, hey, when in your consult you feel this and that, you need to take a different path, you know. So it's, it's literally a bit of a paradigm shift, talking about a canine paradigm, and teaching people or giving them an opportunity, hey, instead of having a myoptic bias, you don't have to. You can look at the team in front of you. And it's not about just training the dog in front of you. It's about teaching the team in front of you. Mm. And it's about opening that whole perspective of if you have a consult and it's a difficult consult, you need to formulate the human at the end of the lead. Otherwise, you're going to struggle because mm. you oversee things or you mistake things, you know. And we know now that people, because of globalization or all so many factors, the, the dog is a vital part of families very often, you know. And people nowadays have a lot of mental health struggles or have difficult times. They don't need to be mentally ill. But it's really important that people understand they made a pact with that dog and a dog trainer needs to help them be true to that pact and not give up on their dog, you know. But at the same time, I don't want that dog or canine professionals burn out at the rate they do currently, you know. Compassion fatigue is a massive one. Like I'm holding a workshop next week in Adelaide about compassion fatigue because it's so big. Mm. I had to walk away from this industry for two whole years. I heard it, yeah. Yeah, I had to leave for two years because it, the the people were killing me. I understand. It's mm. really hard. And it's so sad because it could be so rewarding if you know how. You know, you could have a double whammy in reward. You could have a reward from the human and the dog in a consult. It's a tricky one though. Like I, um, I'm lucky in that I can choose what clients to take on right but yeah. um say with training assistance dogs like actual trying to certify assistance dogs i've only done that's not something i specialize in and i've been talked into doing it twice i've had two clients um and i've said now never again no way no way i'll never get involved again one's an overwhelming success story um and we're talking about hopefully convincing her to come in here and talk about it cool um the other one's ongoing and we'll get the dog over the line the dog will eventually be certified but the the experience has been um, it's, I'm not a, I'm a dog trainer, right? Um, and you're put into a position where uh, you, the training the dog is the least of this family's concern, right? Um, I mean, without going too deep into it, it's a child with autism who would only leave the house with me to train the dog and hadn't really left the house in two years beforehand. Wow. And would leave the house with me for a number of reasons. Um, and I was ended up being paid by um, like the, the Uniting Care and I said to them, look, I'm not sure that this is, as they're buying another package of lessons, I'm like, I'm not sure that this is ever going to get over the line. And they said, mate, you're the cheapest therapist we've got. Like, it, we don't care about the dog. That's that's really not why you're getting employed to go around. But I was like, but I'm not a therapist. I'm a dog trainer. Like, and, and and this is, you know, you're mentioning something really important. There's such a fine line, you know, that you are a dog trainer. That's your profession. So, you know, there's also a boundary. Like, it's really easy for me in my job because people give me permission to do open heart surgery, essentially, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to, they're very simple techniques and the great trainers naturally do them very often when you watch them, you know. It's not rocket science. They're just small things that can be of so much value, Yeah. You know? Well, that's the difference between being good and great is yeah. the small things that you do differently than other people, yeah. the things they won't do. 
And and I think the dog industry is also really benefiting from learning how to how the dog trainer needs to take care of themselves. Mm. You know, because technically, for example, when a couple will come to me in therapy, my job is to to be really flexible. As soon as I feel rigid in my conversations and interactions, I'm having taken the wrong turn in my path of formulating or intervening. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's showing dog trainers, hey, we call it the slippery fish exercise. We do it at the workshop. The what, sorry? The slippery fish. The dog trainer needs slippery to fish. fish. The dog trainer needs to feed a slippery fish because when you're getting caught up in something, you're not doing the right thing. You need to un- you need to stay really flexible in your headspace and in your behavior and in your intervention so that you can help. And what dog trainers very often find themselves in is they try to force feed information or they try to force feed interaction. And this is has a backfiring effect. You know, people maybe please you and do it for a session or two, but they don't take it on board. The art of psychology is to turn information into egocentric states. Egocentric. Egocentric that they've taken it on board. They want to do it. The art of therapy, good therapy, is not delivering information. Is that the person comes to the to that conclusion? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the packaging of information. Self discovery. It's more than that. It's like leading them. Like a therapist is technically a GPS or a leader, you know. But mm-hmm. I can't tell you. Well, sometimes I can be directive. But they need to own that. They need to own that and want to do that. Otherwise, you're going to drag them. And you can never work harder than your client because yeah. you burn out. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. So. You'd say three heads in the room or just lean back and nod <laughs> when you say that. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, this is a very – it is an emotional industry. Um, a lot of times when we get the NDTF students in, which you've done the course, and I think I was sick on the second, You were really, yeah. I was so sick. I think you, I was going to die. It, but it, I felt so sorry for you because I looked at you. I'm like, God, you're a ghost. And, and, and mm. it was pretty full on. Yeah, that, but, um, or did you have the flu? Yeah. yeah massively. Yeah, it was, it was probably the worst one I've ever had. The man flu. The, no. The, the actual man I, flu. I think it was like the uber man flu. Yeah, wow. it, was, it really knocked me on my ass. It was pretty bad. And, oh, um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was actually a shame because um, Birdie was oh, she. I, you did the block one with me, but not block two. So um, I was really, really looking forward to um, doing the course because Birdie and a few other people were there, and I, I genuinely liked the group. I like most groups, you know. I mean, um, there's there's always some fantastic. Um, I see them out here all the time. Everyone's always having a great yeah, time. Yeah, it's good. Amazing. Do you, know, do you know what? I have to tell you this. We actually got a really good review for New South Wales for the NDTF groups. Like in general, the students are happier overall and they tend to be more enthusiastic and more committed to the group. And the feedback has been absolutely fantastic. But we encourage that from the get-go. We talk to them and, and say to the, the, the students in the group, look, tell us how you're feeling about things. You know, nothing's off the table. Everything's open. But anyway, we can talk about NDTF another time. I want to talk about Birdie because yeah, yeah. she's in here. But one of the things that we do talk to them about, Birdie, is that um, the interaction with um, with clients and their dogs. So a lot of times in the early days we used to just teach people how to train dogs. But now what we do is we do spend quite a bit of that time informing students that you're dealing with people that feel and they're already humiliated and they're embarrassed and they're almost sick with the fact that they've come to you with this problem dog and they don't know what they're going to do about it. So, you know, a lot of times you have to reserve judgment. Um, and, and as you've said, you, you need to remain in a point of being extremely flexible and empathetic to them yes. because they are 
in an awful place and they really, really are just thinking to themselves, what's going to happen now? What is this person going to think about me? What are they going to tell me to do to the dog? I just don't know. And layer on top of that, they're probably really um, kind-hearted, good people because mm. they've made that call, right? They've made like the step. Other people would not make that call and they get rid of the dog. They just go, this is too hard, but they've asked for help. Yeah, they've taken the step. Yeah, And, it's, it's you know, it's also like a part of the workshop is also – learning to have compassion even when things don't go well. You know, like um, if I wouldn't have had compassion when this lady in old people's home peed on me, <laughs> it could have ended my career. Yeah. Like I could have said no thank you to that. It's too hard. But it opened doors, you know. Well, that's the lens you viewed it through, right? Because when you're telling the story, I'm thinking she did that to you. Like that, she'd been waiting. She set her trap. She got her ambush. That says more she, about you than the lady. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> but that's when you tell us, I'm like, yeah, that woman stitched her up. She got it. She peed on her head. She'd been carrying that thing around for months, waiting to drop it, hoping you'd pick it up. Boom. Gotcha. To think um, next time I'll try and get a dookie on you or something. <laughs> yeah, it was probably. I'm, I'm picturing her being lifted uh, in the hoist, going, "God damn it! I only need to pee. If I only need to pee. Well. If only Birdie would pick something up off the floor." <laughs> I wish she would have had that mental capacity. Um, oh, God. That's where my brain went to straight away. But it's also, you know, you have to also teach yourself being neutral. Mm. So, so to be a good relationship counselor, you have to teach yourself being neutral and not taking things personal. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, a good therapist or a good dog trainer like you know um Palamuda was here he doesn't take things personal he has a language around being really factual and scientific science-based and part of the workshop is um identifying key characteristics of good therapists and learning how do you build a rapport like I always laugh because when there's a difficult dog in the room and I ask the question in the workshop what do you do when you have a really scared anxious dog in front of you with the history of being reactive I get, you know, I get bombarded with intervention and everything. And I'm like, okay, what do you do when the human growls? What do you do when the human is avoidant? What do you do when the human is critical and shows signs of distress? Dead silence. Mm. So, so, so it's about, I'm always so fascinated. Like dog trainers are like, yeah, look, I had this really awesome dog and we did this. I'm like, oh, that's a scary dog. But then a human just goes like, and growl. And everyone's no, thank you. You know? Yeah. And with social media, we're seeing a lot more of that now. And I think this type of atmosphere would be terrific for business owners where they've, you know, like us, even here at at Pet Resorts, where we, we, you know, genuinely deal with very emotive people um, and they can be so lovely. Uh, You know, the majority of them are wonderful, but you'll get people that just can be difficult and the staff find them hard to deal with. They don't know what to do. So I think with things like what you're teaching, I mean, I, I think at some stage I'd love to set a um, a session up where you come and teach my staff and talk to my staff. To. I think it would be, awesome. be, yeah, I think that would be wonderful and beneficial for all of them. And, uh, and after this, if other people aren't considering doing the same thing, I think they've got rocks in their head because this is mm. this is super beneficial. I see. Well, I mean, already I'm entirely intrigued by what you're doing. You know, like just in the short time that we've sat down and talked about it, I think this is. Huge. I really well, do. It's one of the better things that I've heard for a long time. And it's why I was so keen to talk to you is because it, it's at such a point of difference, right? Like there's no one it's else mad. doing this. It's mad. It's simply mad, guys. You know, yeah. and that's the hard thing. I don't know how to explain what I do because I have no point of reference. Like, you know, if people say, what do mm. you do? Well, you're we're pioneering. doing it here, right? Yeah, you're a pioneer. Send them a link to this podcast. <laughs> we shall. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're running the workshops and they're, they're evolving, 
right? Yeah. So from the first one you did in Sydney, which you did um, September. in September, and that was at Scruffy's, right? It was at Scruffy's, 10 people, home-cooked food. Plug to them again. Yes, thank you so much again because they, you know, they don't, they are so happy for me to experiment. Like they're really supportive because, you know, they just go like, oh, I've been, there's no financial pressure there or anything. They just want to give it a go. You know, it's really nice to be able to play with the concept because, you know, um, you're taking a risk essentially, you know. And I was, I was, I can't tell you how grateful I am to so many people out there because I wouldn't be sit, sitting here if I wouldn't have had this amazing, kind, um, knowledgeable team behind me. Like, I'm, this is not just coming from my head. Like a lot of people have been working on this. So I'm really grateful to, to them. Awesome. Anyone you want to name? Yes. Lauren Hoyle, Melanie Sweeney, Glenn Cook, Pat, because you trained me as well, Andrew Stewart, Marcia Day, Rihanna Nation, uh, Lydia Ronenkamp, you know, Scruffies, all those amazing people, and most of all my amazing husband. Like I couldn't do Like he has to step up so hard at the moment because I'm hardly ever home now. So <laughs> I'm really grateful for my It's awesome that this is taking off. And outside the workshop, do you find your, I mean, what you can talk about, are you getting many dog industry people in just as regular clients? So um, so what's happening, I had a mental health kind of program, but I'm not having the resources at the moment to really do what I want to do. So I'm doing my clinical psychology. I have a clinic in Sydney. I have, um, as a clinical psychologist, I do my stuff there. But what's happening at the moment is I do a lot of online consultations. So people buy online consultation packages mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, we work through that a little bit because it's more viable. Like um, I had a couple of plans what I could do and it seems that the pack model is taking off the most. Mm-hmm. And mental health-wise, I'm a type of person, I really enjoy my work, but there's, because I'm a clinical psychologist, there's only so much I want to do clinical. Mm-hmm. What's the name of your clinical psychology business? called pause in life as in take a break so i have two businesses pause in life as in take a break and pause in life as in dog pause (laughs) yeah perfect (laughs) yeah um, my kids and husband came up with that but no so i'm really happy but it's um the goal for next year is to the workshop at the moment is only one day workshop and it takes me a day to get the model across so it's not that practical yet so people then join an online closed group where they can practice and where we can troubleshoot things but the next step is um designing what I'm currently doing, a whole day of just practical interventions. So it will be a two-day package, hopefully, by the end of the year. And when you say practical interventions, you're talking like playing out scenarios. Yeah, how do you do it? Like, you know, at the moment people understand. So what they get at the end of the workshop is like a sheet of paper with the formula and the interventions and the model. But it's, it's an art skill to really know when you see a person in front of you, what do they need? What's the priority of yeah. intervention? And that's what I'm designing right now. Right. So it's my goal is that by twenty end of twenty eighteen, I have a handful of people that when they go into dog consult, they can not just um, put a treatment plan for the dog together; they can also have one for the human, and they're feeling safe and secure and confident about it. Yeah, wow. I think that's wonderful. That's Jeez, a- you've got a finger in a lot of pies, haven't you? You really. Like there's a lot going on in your life at the moment. Yeah, I'm a bit mad. Like, you know, I did not know it's going to take off. Like you're talking to actually a person that doesn't always think she knows what she's doing. So I always have a backup plan. And this year I had four backup plans and they're all working at the moment. So I'm a bit like, okay. Have you, <laughs> um, have you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yes. That's what you've got, right? That's it. Well, I'll explain it. So mm. Dunning-Kruger, for people who don't know, because I learned it off of a, the You Are Not So Smart podcast, um, is – 
when people who are really good at something suffer from constant self-doubt and because of their capacity to be so good realize that they aren't as good as they could be and question themselves nonstop, whereas people of perhaps a lower intelligence just go, I'm the best at this. Right. Yeah, and, and look, I, the thing is, I don't know what I'm doing some days. You know, some days I'm literally just sitting there. I'm like, that. I give that the best shot. But then at the same time, I do know that, for example, a lot of the people in my newsfeed or in social media try to be really helpful and, and, you know, trying to have an approach. And I'm like, oh, this will fall flat because it doesn't go that far, you know. Mm-hmm. Because actually having a proper intervention protocol for the human at the end of the lead is really complex because it's a relationship dynamic. and It's not simple. Mm. Am I wrong? I'm sort of – I know in my own consults the, the goal is to make people um, enjoy their dog. Yes. That, that's really it, yes. right? Yes. Like yes. even if the dog – at the end of the day, if the dog's tearing the couch to pieces and they can afford and are happy to buy a new couch every day – no big deal because they enjoy the dog, right? Like that, I mean, that's, a, that's an extreme example, but that's really with every person and, and client in a pet dog world is you, they just want to have a good time with their dog. That's why they got the dog. The dog's real purpose in life is to, unless it is a specific work dog, um, is to be good company. But people sometimes can't do that. And that's why, you know, the problem that I found at the beginning is that is a a great example for a lot of people, but not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the problem that I had when I was helping my friends is like, I know how to help you, but what do I do in this scenario? And the model tries to cover all those aspects because otherwise you have a huge bias again. You know, so we, we're trying to overcome a bias in our problem formulation. And then I don't want to go in with another huge bias. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the art here is to be really covering every base and i don't know if i'm doing a great job i'm just going to give it a go this year so we shall see well the feedback is good right everyone the feedback is good from what from what i'm hearing people are thinking wow this is i want to know when the next sydney workshop is depends Mm. when we get a venue (laughs) well you're sitting in one really aren't you (laughs) well let's talk okay um but everyone listening we definitely I, i'm super interested I, I, i'm pissed off that i couldn't go to the first one yeah same um, and, yeah. and i really want to get involved uh, and i think that anyone that's interacting with people and dogs and trying to build that relationship should right this is something that no one else is teaching some people have a knack for it and are yeah, just killing definitely. it no problem right and it comes to them and probably can't explain why they're so good at it but they just are they're yes. good with people they're good with yes. dogs there's no problem right um but other people are struggling and you always have you know you have five percent of the population that maybe challenge you you might be good with 95 percent, but that might just it is five percent where you go like well what do i do then you know mm-hmm. so it's the workshop is for people who want to have an open curious mind and just want to give things a crack really and i know that the workshop people the atmosphere of the workshop is very different like it's usually very social people have to interact in group exercises there's most of the time a lot of fun like people really enjoy themselves like mm-hmm. I try to make it a fun experience because I'm like, you're giving up a whole day of your life. Everyone's busy. Let's make it a fun day. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for that. And just clarify for me because I, I didn't understand fully. When you want to expand to two days, mm-hmm. is that so you can play out practical scenarios? Yes. So More you practice. can have Pat is going into Glenn's house and Glenn's actually going to play being a bad client or being a disinterested client or whatever. And I'm going to have to work through yes. that and use the techniques that you've yes. learned. Yes. And we're going to, are people going to do that with each other or are you going to bring a player? No, because it's, it's more acted or videos. I don't know. I'm, I'm really early in the stages. Like, don't forget the first workshop was only four months ago. Mm-hmm. So 
I have to see because there's also a point of confidentiality there. Sure. You know, um, and also I want to have a standard in a group. Like I want to have a certain minimum standard that I want to cover. Yeah. And at the moment, because the model is so young that I, I rather would provide examples where I have a certain amount of control over. So I'm no, I know they will t- be, also they, I teach certain skills. I have a certain outcome and mm-hmm. evaluation at the end. Mm. That's good. Because in the end, look, the idea is that if people want to learn how to do it, that they can at the end get some form of a course certification or something mm-hmm. at one stage. Yeah, right. Like a certification in your brand of, of what, what, what do you label that? What do you call thing. that? No, it would just be like they could advertise, hey, I know how to help the human. Because on a client yeah. base, there's very often the, the feedback of, oh, I wanted to have a dog trainer, but I didn't click with the dog trainer. Mm-hmm. So they could then advertise it. Hey, I know how to make you feel comfy. I know how to do that. Well, regardless how anybody feels about it, because I have a lot of people say to me, look, you know, I'm just a dog trainer. And I said, are you dealing with the client? And they say, well, sporadically, but not on a large scale. I said, if you're dealing with the client, you're a person trainer as well, you know, and sometimes you get dragged into scenarios with the client, such as husband and wife not talking to each other, um, families feuding um, and, you know, neighbourhood disputes, disputes outside the, the home with local council, etc. So you are um, in conflict management at some stage. So having the tools available that you can actually go and talk to people and be able to um, help relieve whatever stresses that people are actually facing at those point in time, I, I, again, I can't tell you how essential I see that. I think this is... It's, it also helps you as the trainer go away and feel a sense of relief in yourself because I know that I've come away from sessions that I've done with people and I'm, I'm carrying tension. You know, I come home and I'm, I'm feeling anxious and tense about my interaction with the people. And it's, I've helped them, but I haven't helped myself. Yes. That's, that, a, that's a difficult part as well. That is, and, you know, there, there will be um, part of that job is the self-care part, you know, like how do you make it viable for you, you know, like, in clinical psychology, we, we need to look after ourselves, you know. And I'm unfortunately naturally a person that struggles with that. I have to put so much effort into it that I'm okay mm-hmm. because I always like to be on the go, you know. Like my dog reflects the energy level that I have in me. We struggle to switch off. Mm-hmm. So, so you know. But the good thing is it's learnable. Like we're getting better. Like I'm getting every year better at doing these things. So I know those things work. It's just finding the right thing for everyone and I hope people come because people have a good time at the workshop. Well, they're coming. They're, you're, you're selling them, right? Like is the, the last three months booked out. Perfect. So, so people are coming. Don't hope people come. They're coming. Yeah, um, um, but, you know, it's so amazing also because I have so much fun with those people because I haven't met a person that I don't like at my workshop yet. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a cool energy because we literally write history at the moment. Like this podcast. Thank you so much for having me on here. No, thank you so much for coming. Me uh, yeah, you made the effort to actually drive up here and be part of our show. And, I mean, you're our first official guest. And uh, and let me tell you, for somebody for, for somebody who's come into the, the studio and, and sat down with us, this is really interesting and it's going to be hard to top. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I had an idea of what you were doing and I've heard the feedback from people and I see online, I see positive comments and that, but it, it, this is – a lot different from what I was picturing in my head, I have to be honest. What did you picture? Um, initially, I was under the impression that it was more for, well, from the initial, you called it the bravery workshop, yeah, it, right? it did develop from from just dog owners to then dog trainers. Like yeah. it had quite a bit of so, evolution. 
the idea I had in my head the first time around until I heard the feedback from people was that it was sort of how to engage with people. Like, see, I see a lot of really highly skilled dog trainers um, and we all go to the same workshops and we see all the same things and then they call me to help them with their dog. And I say, mate, we were standing next to each other when we learnt this. Like, I know you know this. Like, access the part of your brain and get it out and have the confidence to do it. And I, I was under the impression that that's what you were sort of teaching people, like a, a confidence building in, in the industry. And I think probably you are a little bit, right? I am, but confidence is a really complex construct. So confidence is actually not a very linear thing to be taught. Oh, my God. So, this is so, blowing my mind. So, so, mm. so this is, you know, this is the greatest feedback that I got when I was training Luna is get your confidence. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, it's not that simple. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, there's a lot. Confidence is a ginormous construct. And that's why the packed formula will deliver confidence, but it's really complex. And you have to really tweak in why that person's not confident. There's, you have to get your formulation right. Mm-hmm. There's mm. no, there is no recipe. You know, we want to have a recipe. Like I can teach people how to walk confidently, which helps. But how to change the mindset, how to change all the other areas is a different story. You need to well, get it right. And, and Sorry, go ahead. The, the great thing about this, I, I think we've only just kicked the top of the anthill off. Um, <laughs> this is just, this is really deep. There's a lot in this. And I um, right now I'm encouraging anybody who's, um, who's involved in the, this industry at all? If if you, you're mad if you don't go along and and uh, at least attend one of Bertie's workshops, I think this is um, how, how big one a group of the more fascinating handle? things I've heard in many years. How many? Can the you largest take? one I had was twenty five. Um, mm. It I I'm because I'm a bit <laughs> I like high standards and I like to know my people. I I don't want to do too big workshops. Like I'd rather have more frequent workshops. Mm-hmm. Because I want to have quality there, you know. I don't. It's not about mass production. It's about yeah, quality. Yeah. Perfect. So, have you been to um, one of Esther Shulk's workshops? Yep. Yeah, I. I mean, that sort of thing just blows the top of my yep. head off. You know, I've been to so many practical workshops, and I love it. And you know, I always walk away learning something. I've spent a very short amount of time sitting down having lunch with Esther, just talking concepts, and I thought this. I am overwhelmed with what she's telling me right now you know there was it it was truly amazing one of the things that esther said um that i've taken away just something she said in passing in passing but she said um it doesn't matter how you think and feel at the end of the day it really matters what the dog thinks and feels but when i'm talking to you it does matter what you think and feel because you know we have so much um like from Elisa's pain study, we know that if their attachment between a dog trainer, uh, the dog owner and the, hum- the dog's not great, the dog will pick up on that. Then they will interact less. Then they have like less oxytocin. Mm-hmm. So, so it sets off this whole chain, you know. So attachment, is a safe attachment, even between a human and a dog is really of importance. I think with um, just going back to what Esther's point was, though, my interpretation was um, her point, though, is that people often – overthink and overcompensate for what their dog's doing and that's what esther's point was on that was that um people often overdiagnose what their dog is thinking you know i mean we know all of us in this room know that um dogs don't think anywhere near as complicated as what the human mind does they don't possess the same deductive reasoning capabilities that we do they do think they do feel emotions but they don't process things the same way we do. And, I mean, we are our own worst enemy sometimes. The things that we think and feel are often so overwhelming that they just 
impact our day-to-day life, our mental, physical health. And it, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, I, I, one of my goals is that I really learn more about this, but, you know, humans project their needs onto their dogs. Oh, when they can't get their needs met, they project. Yep. And, and, you know, how do you help that? And, you know, you, you show your relationship patterns in the relationship with your dog. So how do you address that? Like, like you said, you know, we're just scratching on the surface here. You know, this could, this can go really multiple levels down. <laughs> this is the rabbit hole and yeah. you're you Alice. A, you need a team. Mm. Yes, please. I need a really strong, I'm a, I need it because I am biased as a person. Like my biggest problem at the moment is that I have a huge gender bias in my workshop. Like I can count on one hand how many men have attended my workshop. Mm-hmm. So I need, and I'm like, well, I think two more. Yeah, that's yes. right. But I think that might also be a reflection of um, the industry. Like I think that yeah. in-home call-out dog trainers, it is way more uh, women doing that than men, I think. What, that there I know there is now. Um, yeah, now. When I, when I, interesting thing is when I first started in the industry, which was almost 30 years ago, um, the group of people that I started training with was um, there were like 14 guys down and one girl. And, you know, talking about paradigm shifts, I saw that shift um, happening over, you know, over the the next decade from there, I started seeing more uh, women and, and girls coming into the industry. And then all of a sudden it did a complete about face where, where I would have normally said it was more men. It was far more women and far less women, uh, far less men that were in the industry. I, I see it on the NDTF course all the time. The enrollments, uh, there'll be... If I have a mean average of 14 students in the class, maybe one or two of them will be boys or men. The other will be ladies. And it's it's interesting and fascinating why that shift came about. And it's even in the bite work stuff. Like in our PSA club, there's more girls than guys. In the, in the 100%, club. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and we're training a new decoy to go. All the IPO awesome. clubs in the early days were, well, not all. I shouldn't say all. But again, the majority were, were men. Now the majority are women. Yep. So explain that. And they're bloody good trainers too. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I just think, you know, people, I don't care. As long as you do no, the right exactly. thing and you're awesome. Exactly. Like, it's irrelevant. Really. <laughs> well, that's a good point, it's, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like, you know, um, I like you for who you are. Yeah, like, exactly. It's irrelevant. But I just mean that would be a reflection of why at your workshop there's yeah. more women than men because there's just more women training dogs than men. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, I got... Thankfully, the men were really good at giving me feedback. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm sitting here today because I had amazing people in my life who always gave me feedback. And, and this is not a one-person show. This is by now a team approach. And I'm really grateful for everyone who not just helped me but also my dog, Luna. You know, she's, she's a pivotal moment in my life. I have a pact with her. We're kind of married. So, so perfect segue because I haven't seen her in a while. How is she? She is heaps better. So I can take her out, you know, I can walk with her. She she can bypass the dog outside. Now she can go to doggy daycare. She she my husband took her the other day to the motorbike coffee shop. Like she's heaps better. Perfect. Heaps better. Yeah. Still true. doesn't like to be patted by everyone. Um I don't either. No, but it's also it's also really interesting because she's more confident with my husband than me. So to this day she still is more on the protective side with me, yeah, right. no matter what I do. Um but you know, my husband's a big bloke. Like he's strong and, and, and he's just like. And he cooks know. some amazing brisket. Yes, he does. He's a pit master. He loves his barbecue. Um, yeah, he's awesome. I love my husband. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Terrific. Well, 
I reckon that's about it. What are we at? We're about an hour and ten minutes. Yeah, about an hour and ten into it. So, and it's Bertie. That's been a great hour. Like I'm, I'm really buzzing over that talk. That's been really good. So, I think um, people who are listening to this are going to be super fascinated to know more. So, uh, website is. Uh, www.pauseinlife.com.au. We are on Facebook with Pause in Life Coaching. Um, I'll put the link up. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I love talking, as you can see. So. Oh, by the way, I just um, my wife, Narelle, and you are doing a co-project together, which is going to be released soon, called The Vegas Connection. Yes, we are. I'm even excited because I came up with the name. Yes, you are. The, <laughs> you, you are the name giver. You I am the name it. giver. You I did. Are, and explain the name because it had to be explained to me. And then I went, oh, it's such a good name. Yeah, The Vegas Nerf, the connection between. Because Narelle is. Narelle, Narelle's specialty is natural medicine. And, of course, Birdie is uh, involved in uh, psychology. So it's the... Um, everyone calls anything to do with the the brain, the stomach, the gut brain relationship, but um, the vagus nerve is the the main nerve that connects them and communicates between the two of them. So, you know, the gut is the brain of your body, and the, the obviously the brain in your head is is your yeah. main brain. So. And it's, there's a lot of research coming out how the vagus nerve is responsible for anxiety, PTSD. And I use it in my workshop. I use a lot of um, interventions in my bravery workshop, which next year probably will be called the Pact Workshop for calming people down like because what you can't forget is people have trauma reactions you know how a dog has a training teaching proving face the human does too Mm. and they very very often have a different critical distance to a scary object than the dog so their nervous system is very often showing distress signals so they need to learn how to calm them and soothe themselves down as well you know amazing so that's what we're using so many layers to this i i really want to get to the workshop so Hurry I up can't and wait. One in Sydney. Thank you so much for so having me. We've got all your contact details, but spell pause in life. You know, we'll put a photo of your yeah, business we, card. Yeah, I put it everything like up because I have an accent, so people want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it worked out for everybody. But thank you so much, Bertie. Thanks really, so much thanks for coming. So much such a privilege to have you today. Thank no, you. Oh, it's my privilege. You know, I look at you. It's guys our privilege. It's ours. It's awesome to have people that you get along with and believe in each other. Thank so. you. Awesome. Hey, um, before we wrap up, there's just one thing. I got a message from a guy I met in Texas um, over a year ago. Uh, it's kind of a horrible story, but I thought I wanted to just share it quickly. So there's a little girl there. So she's connected to the dog industry by this guy as a dog trainer. And Anyway, she's 13 and has a brain tumor and staring down the, the barrel of it being her last Christmas. And what she asked for is Christmas cards from all over the world, which I thought was pretty amazing. And I mm. thought, hey, since people are listening to this and this guy literally just messaged me a couple of hours ago um, and asked if I could send one from Australia, I was like, yeah, of course I can, but let's see who else we can get to send them from Australia. And if you're listening from anywhere else, please do that. So they've got a Facebook page for her. Um, it's called Briella's Journey, B-R-I-E-L-L-A, Briella's Journey. So you can check out the Facebook page there and there's a, an address that I've got here that I won't bother reading out. We'll just put in the in the folder for this um, podcast. We'll put the address if you want to send a Christmas card to this um, little girl for Christmas, which I think What a heartbreaking be, story for that family. It makes me sick. Like, you know, being a parent now, stuff like this just mm. sort of stabs me right in the feels. So I just thought, you know, why not? If we can get as many people awesome. to do that, anyone that's listening, if you could do that for us, that'd be fantastic. Um, so that's it from us. That's it from this week, the third episode of The Canine Paradigm. Um, as always, uh, if you like what you're hearing, please um, like, subscribe, give us a review on whatever medium you're downloading us from, iTunes or, or wherever. Um, doing so allows people who 
we don't know personally and can't harass, hey, listen to our <laughs> podcast to hopefully find us organically and maybe enjoy what they're listening to. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so on our Facebook page. It's probably the best way. Uh, the Canine Paradigm is just, just search that on Facebook. You'll see it. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. That way, me and Glenn both get it. Um, and yeah, we love your feedback. So send us what you can. If you need to get in contact with Glenn and you know him, do that personally. Same for me. Send us an email. <laughs> if you don't want, if you don't want both of us to see what we've got to say, if you want to complain about Glenn to me or vice versa, send it the other way. Yeah, exactly. That's it. We'll play. We'll have more music play us out. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Thank you. Bye.